Good morning, church. It's, uh, it's lovely and warm in here. The weather has changed over the last couple of days, but it's so good to just have the blessing of having radiators that come and warm our lives in our homes and even in the church building this morning. But even more so than that is that we come once again to God's Word and God's Word in the midst of a world that is sometimes very cold that we can always come to the Scripture and come into the presence of the Lord in our own personal worship, but also together as when we come to times like this of corporate worship, what a blessing we have as Christians, as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, to know the warmth of God's embrace through His Word and through the presence of His Holy Spirit even with us today. We're going to continue through this amazing book, the book of Ephesians, and... uh, Paul, um, in the recent chapters that we've been going through, has dealt with some really deep doctrine, really good, sound, fundamental things that we need to absolutely understand as Christians, as believers. Many people call themselves Christians, but according to the Scripture, you only become a Christian when you understand and receive Jesus Christ by faith and through His grace. And so for you and I, if we can embrace this, and we've received Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. When Paul writes at the beginning of the book of Ephesians to the saints in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, those who believe, who've received salvation by grace, it's for you and for me today. And the reason why I'm saying it's very important when we come and unpack the passage this morning, as, as Paul moves on from all these deep theological teachings that he's had and he's going to continue we're going to see as he works through the practical teaching in the next few chapters that every now and again and even in the passage he he doesn't just give a whole lot of practical teaching but he undergirds it and every now and again you see a a girder that he puts in there a theological girder that just underpins and under and upholds the practical teaching that he's giving us so it's not just paul speaking but he's inspired by God's Holy Spirit. And so as we continue this morning, we're going to read from chapter 4. And I'd initially kind of split it up until verse 10. Um, but really, it should end, the, the portion that we're going to do this morning is end at the end of verse 6. And verse 7 to 10 really connects more with next week's message. If we've got time, we'll touch on it. But for the meantime, we'll just read up to verse 6. And we will continue uh, the next portion to the end, um, end of uh, is it verse, verse 16 for next, next week. So why don't you read with me in the scripture this morning from Ephesians chapter 4 verses 1 to 6. Paul writes, As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you've received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body, one Spirit, just as you are called to one hope when you are called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Just so far this morning, let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come to the Word today, as we come to this real 
this really practical teaching. We pray, Heavenly Father, that you would help us to understand how utterly important it is for the body of Christ. Won't you, by your Spirit, just unpack this, Lord, so that we can glean from your words, so that we can grow as your people. And even as this precedes the next verses that are so important in the life and the, the ministry of the church, Lord, as we move on through our journey in Ephesians, that you'll continue to lay through, by your word the building blocks in our lives. And so, gracious Heavenly Father, we just commit our time to you as we partake of this spiritual meal and pray that you'll add your blessing to it and that you'll come and meet our needs this morning. We pray this in the wonderful name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Unity. What is it? And perhaps this is one area in the life and the ministry of the church where the enemy attacks, sadly. And it's something that we need to be aware of as God's people. And Paul is writing to the Ephesians, and he's saying to them, be aware of this. This is how seriously you need to take this. Now, what is Christian unity? Now, we need to define it. And I started off this morning by pointing you back to the very first verses in Ephesians. As Paul writes, and he's writing to those who are in Christ Jesus, those who hold to the fundamentals of the Christian doctrine as per the Scripture. That is salvation by faith and by God's grace. And so as we come here this morning, what is Christian unity? Many so-called Christian organizations make this appeal about Christian unity, but then we, we find within those groups that there are groups that do not hold on to salvation by grace and have different views. And if, Can we have unity with those who do not agree with the Scriptures, who do not have a high view of Scripture? Friends, I believe that Paul was not writing to groups outside of people having a high view of Scripture, or outside or to groups who are outside of understanding that salvation is by God's grace alone and not by works. As we've examined this these passages in Ephesians, it is so and absolutely clear of how we are saved and the means to salvation. So as Paul writes and he speaks about Christian unity, he's speaking to you and I who hold to these fundamentals of the Christian faith. And for those who do not hold to these and make an appeal for Christian unity, what is the basis of our unity? There is no basis of unity if we do not agree on the fundamentals of our faith. And so Paul is writing to those who understand how they are saved and have a high view of Scripture. And so we need to absolutely understand this as we begin. I'm probably getting mixed up in my notes here this morning. But Paul starts off and he writes and he says, as a prisoner... 
as one suffering. As, and, and in the past couple of weeks, we've unpacked that. And, and Paul's just encouraged them in his suffering. He says, well, now as, a, as somebody who's actually enduring persecution, enduring imprisonment, enduring suffering, there's been a huge cost. As somebody who's bearing the cost of the gospel, I urge you, there's, there's an authenticity to Paul's statement here. And encouragement for the church. In fact, it's not just encouragement. He says, as a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you. You know, when somebody suggests that you ought to do something. Well, maybe, Paul, you should just do this. Maybe, Paul, if you... Wore different color shirt, it might kind of match, match your hair color, or I don't know. I'm just thinking of some ridiculous examples. Uh, or uh, maybe Paul, when you drive, if you use if you use fifth gear instead of sixth gear, you might have more power. There might be some suggestions that that people might have for us. But Paul isn't the Apostle Paul isn't writing in that sense. He's not just merely suggesting to the church, well, maybe it would be a good idea if you did these things. I suggest them to you out of my experience. He's not writing like that. You see, in the text here is a word, and he says, I urge you, there's an urgency to Paul's appeal. I absolutely urge you, this is something utterly important for the church of God. As he writes to the Ephesian church, he's also writing to us today and he's saying, Calvary, I urge you, because this is so important. We can be good times within the life and ministry of the church and we can be experience wonderful unity. But friends, as we unpack this, we need to understand that this is one area that the enemy attacks. And we need to understand what Paul speaks about in terms of unity here. He says, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. You and I have received the calling, haven't we? I keep on going back to that wonderful passage in 1 Peter chapter 2. speaks about who we are, but now you are a chosen people. Verse 9 of chapter 2 of Peter, 1 Peter. But now you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. And listen to this. A people belonging to God that you may declare the praises of Him. What does it mean that we are a holy nation? What does it mean that we are a people belonging to God? I keep on thinking about this analogy and just growing up in our home. My mom had this display case of, of beautiful china plates and cups and saucers and all of that type of thing. And inside the kitchen cupboard was stuff that we used every day. But then there was that stuff for a special occasion. So if we had guests or there was something really special happening, and you may have the same thing today, and I, and I think to some degree Michelle and I have also had special things that we would take out on special occasions. That's, in a sense, what holiness is, set-apartness. That we've been set apart for God's purposes and not the purposes of this world. 
that if you think about those plates that are taken out on special occasions, they're not used every day. But they're used for special purposes. And God has called you. And that word calling in this text here this morning has that emphasis on that we've been called. Not just called, but we've been called with a purpose, with an intention. So many people understand coming to faith and that there's this response to an altar call. And here's the danger of sometimes uh, ministry in evangelical circles. We make altar calls, people come and respond. But friends, they do not understand, many of them do not understand that God is calling, not just for a once-off response, but for a life response. We're called, as the Apostle Paul puts it here to live a life worthy of the calling that we've received. God has taken us out of the ordinary cupboard and He set us apart. Not for the ordinary riffraff of every day, but He set us apart for His purposes and not for the world's purposes. And as he goes on in the next chapters, he's going to speak about some really practical issues. And in particular, don't think it's a mistake that the very first one that he deals with is this issue of unity. He says, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. He says here, In his call for unity in verse 3. No, verse 2. He says, be completely. I love that word. It's very interesting that he says this. He doesn't just say be humble. He says be completely. Completely humble. What a challenge this is to sort of unpack this and and think. he's, He's not giving us any room for not doing this properly. And friends, I want to encourage you as we read through these things this morning, the possible would not give these things for us to do if it were not possible through His Holy Spirit. In ourselves, it's impossible. But being filled with God's Holy Spirit, we are to live a Spirit-filled life. Is it possible for us to be humble as Paul speaks about? Yes, when we are living in, in submission to God's Holy Spirit. This is what he's calling us to be. This is what he's calling us to strive for. And he uses this word completely for several words here. It says, be completely humble. We go back to Philippians chapter 2. And and this has come up a number of times over the last couple of weeks. Philippians chapter 2, the example of Jesus. He did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but humbled himself even to death on the cross. What kind of humility are we to have? We're to have the humility of our Lord Jesus Christ. It means giving up my rights. And in the context of what God has called us to, when we find ourselves in a situation where perhaps we've been offended or somebody's kind of pushed us to it, I'm going to defend my rights. That's our human nature. We want to defend our rights. And humility is backing off and saying, well, hang on a moment. Maybe I need to put myself second. 
What did Jesus do? He did not consider his godness something to be grasped, but humbled himself, took on humanity. He came and he ate and lived with the riffraff of society. He became poor. He stepped down out of heaven, the wealth and the riches of heaven. And found himself walking the dusty pathways of Israel. Eating with the poor and the sinners and the tax collectors. And then even humbled himself to death on a cross. Paul says, be completely humble. And the next word here is gentle. Remember the gentleness is fruit of the Spirit. Be gentle. Be gentle. The world is not teaching us to be gentle. And it's not just a recent thing, is it? You watch a movie and, and so, some, even some of the, the youth programs that should have, that have a reasonable content. But you see how these young people are shouting at one another. That's not being gentle. I think I'm so aware of it. We turned on a movie the, the other day, and in fact, it was just yesterday, and we went to the movie, and it's one of those old Herbie movies, um, right from 1969, I think it was, The Love Bug. I don't know if you've seen that. And there's that famous British actor in that movie. I, I think his name's David Tomlinson. And he's a, he's a, but, you know, he, he plays this, this bad guy in this movie. But from the word go, there's a complete and utter lack of gentleness through this character. And he's shouting and, and insisting on his rights and insisting on that people be equal with him in terms of his, his social status and all of that. It's, it's, it's very entertaining, but it's very eye-opening to what the world pushes across all the time. It's so countercultural. The more you examine scriptures, you see how countercultural this is. Gentle. Be completely humble. Be completely gentle. And be completely patient. What is that word? It's a word that's forbearance or long-suffering, and we're told in Scripture so often to be long-suffering, and there's two words in the Greek. One word refers to long-suffering in circumstances, but that's not the word that's used here. The word that is used here is long-suffering in terms of personal relationships. And friends, I, I think we have to get real with this. We're not all perfect. And there's going to be times within Christian circles that we're not always going to get along with somebody or something's going to happen and it's going to be really frustrating. And Paul's calling us in those moments when it's frustrating, in those moments when it's difficult, in that, those moments when we've been upset and offended by somebody, to be patient, to be long-suffering, Somebody said this, 
long-suffering is the quality of a person who has the ability to avenge himself, but doesn't. So I've been offended by somebody, and I have an opportunity to avenge my cause and to fight back and to, to push myself forward in that situation and make this wrong that's been wronged against me right. And I have an opportunity to do that, but long-suffering is when I don't take that opportunity and rather let God be glorified and rather let there be unity and rather let there be peace. So we're working through the Beatitudes in the evenings. Blessed are the peacemakers is one of them that are going to come up. But even this word here today, be completely patient, is that sense, be completely full of mercy. Guess what's tonight? Blessed are the merciful. How amazing is that? Because part of being unified as God's people is showing mercy to one another. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another. Bearing with one another in love. What does it mean? When we unpack this in a practical way, friends, I believe it means that it's understanding who others are in Christ Jesus. That is, that they're also sinners redeemed just like you and I. They may just sin in a different way to what you and I find that we sin. And when we can learn to understand that, that they also are the redeemed of the Lord Jesus Christ, but they're different. It helps us to forbear and to, to bear with one another. It's understanding the value that others have in God's eyes. And it's learning to want the very best for those we struggle with the most. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is that wonderful beautiful portion of love and we always use it when we conduct wedding services it's probably one of the most popular portions of scripture irrespective of whether people are believers or not but if there's a wedding service then very often first corinthians 13 is read out but how often do we apply it beyond that how often are we exercising that in our daily lives first corinthians 13 you see, love is very practical. And Paul says, be patient, be completely humble, gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love. In love. Somebody once said this to me. A wonderful friend of ours we haven't seen for many years, but William said this to me, William Blah wonderful pastor in Cape Town in, in, in Port Elizabeth in South Africa. And he said, said this to, you, to me. And you know, it's, sometimes people say short little things to you, but they're so profound that you'll never forget them. He says, Paul, to love somebody is to want the very best for them. And friends, in those moments where somebody has offended you and I, 
And we have that ability and that opportunity to, to avenge ourselves. Being patient is not avenging. Being unified is not avenging. Why? Because we want the very best for that person. Even if it means the very best for that other person over and above what is very best for us. We are taught to want the very best for ourselves and the Bible teaches us to want the very best for others over and above the very best for ourselves. It's difficult, isn't it? And the scripture brings some really difficult things because we've been so tuned as people in our world and we've been fed with all this stuff all the time. Paul continues. And he says in verse 3, listen to this. He says, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. He says, make every effort, not some efforts. Make every effort. Are you doing everything you possibly, you and I can possibly do to make sure that there's the bond of peace? If there's conflict, are you and I doing absolutely everything that we can do to make sure that at the end of this difficult journey, and sometimes conflict happens, that's the reality of being human, that's the reality of being sinful. But in the context of, of living as Christians, are we doing everything we possibly can do to make sure that at the end of that journey of conflict, that there is peace? Are there broken relationships and hurts that have never been healed? Because we haven't made every effort to keep this bond of peace. Is that word keep? And that word keep means to keep an eye on. It also means to guard. Is that so important? We need to understand guarding, and it's almost in a sense of a military point of view that there's guards who keep watch over something. In South Africa, we got used to there being guards all over the place and very surprised the other day to see that there's some guards at one of the McDonald's just down the road. Some people keeping watch over the safety of, of that restaurant. There's that sense of keeping watch. And the Apostle Paul believes that this is so important for the church that he tells the church to keep watch over this. Keep watch Keep watch that the unity of the spirit through the keep watch of the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. Isn't this so powerful for us and so challenging? Friends, we can't do this. We can't do this on our own. There's times in the life and ministry of churches where there's times of great blessing. Maybe other times where it's difficult. And, and you know what? We can't get through those difficult times on our own. We have to get through them through the Holy Spirit. 
Paul writes, make every effort to guard the unity of the Spirit. To be submissive to God's Holy Spirit. To do what we can according to what God has told us. To do what we can in love. To learn to be completely humble. To learn to be completely gentle. To learn to be completely patient or merciful or forbearing with one another. Brothers and sisters in Christ who are equally loved. And Christ has also paid the price for them. Fight for it. Guard it. Make every effort. And Paul comes with these strong, strong instructions for his church. And when he comes across with these strong instructions in a very practical way, he doesn't just give them to us. He gives us those, those girders that uphold this teaching. If it wasn't for the next statement, we might just think that Paul was just giving some of his own opinions. But he tells us in the next verses exactly why we ought to do this, because we to be different. He says here in verse 4, he says, There is one body, if you, if you remember 1 Corinthians 12, speaking of one body but many parts, there, there are not to be many bodies. There's one body together in Christ Jesus. When you and I have come to faith in Jesus, we are to be one. Jesus, when he prayed in the high priestly prayer in John 17, and he prays for his disciples, he prays, Father, I pray that they would be one as you and I are one. That is the oneness, the kind of oneness that, that Jesus was praying for his disciples. And so often, God's people are not one. There is one body and one spirit. You see, friends, our unity is through God's spirit. Our unity is to be through the work of Jesus Christ. That's what unifies us. Just as you were called to one hope when you were called. He goes on and says, One Lord, one faith. One baptism, understand this, one immersion into Christ Jesus. Not two immersions or three immersions or several different ways into Christ Jesus. There's one way into Christ. That word baptizio means immersion. One immersion into Christ Jesus. Not specifically speaking about the waters of baptism physically, but the immersion in faith into Christ Jesus. One God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. What a great reason. Why should we be unified? Why should we be together? Why should we do all of those things? Why should we learn to be completely humble? Why should we be gentle? Why should we learn patience with one another when it's so difficult to do? Because there's one Lord. There's one faith. There's one spirit. Remember Jesus said this. This is how they will know that you are my disciples. If you have love for one another. 
What a challenge. This is the first part of Paul's teaching on unity. And uh, in the next portion, we'll consider it more next week. He speaks about um, the role Jesus, um, that we've been apportioned grace, and we find this, this challenging uh, text in verses 7 to 10. Um, just trying to understand that. And then he speaks about how he was apportioned different roles so that each one can serve, each one can be equipped for ministry. And the ultimate aim is to reach maturity in Christ Jesus together. And this is the first portion of that. And we're going to unpack this next section next week. But what a challenge for us. How do we do this? How do we do this? How do we make sure that this continues? We go back to verse 2. We apply this practically to our lives, whether it be amongst ourselves or maybe whether it be amongst others who may be not necessarily part of the Calvary family, but they are also believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe it's family members. Maybe it's friends. Maybe it's acquaintances that also identify with Christ, but perhaps there's breakdown in relationships or whatever it might be. I don't know. Maybe there's something that's happened in the past. And Paul writes and says, be completely humble. It means backing down sometimes. It means saying sorry. It means forgiving sometimes. It means giving up our rights to hold something against somebody else, that somebody else has done this to us. They've said this and they've hurt us. And we keep on holding that on. And do you know that sometimes people can hold grudges on for 20 or 30 years. They've never forgiven. They've never let it go. Oh, they say they have, but you know what? The way that you hear them speak, they're still holding. They will not let it go. And there's no forgiveness and there's no unity. Be humble means giving that up. Completely humble. And gentle. How would Jesus have dealt with that difficult person and your life for my life. How would Jesus have dealt with them? And so often in our humanity, we, we go off. And yet here it is. It says, be gentle. And then be patient, merciful, forbearing, bearing up. There's probably times where you're probably going to have to put up with me in my humanity. But that's the picture of Christ. That's the picture of the church that God has called you and I to be a part of, not just here at Calvary, but across the world. To forbear one another. To put up with one another. To put up with our humanness. To put up with the fact that we haven't all arrived in per to perfection. To having a right estimate of ourselves. To, to realize that just as others haven't arrived 
imperfection so that we ourselves haven't arrived in perfection. And copying the example of Jesus. Dear friends, won't you receive this? Perhaps this is the first installment on this very practical series through Ephesians. Paul writes to any church, and this is for any church and any believer, that this whole aspect of unity is absolutely something that we need a God. We need a God. So in the coming days that lie ahead, as we continue, in the years that lie ahead, may we remind each other to keep on guarding this. Make every effort to keep or to guard the unity of the Spirit. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you so much. We want to thank you that you give us so many things in the Scripture. That you equip us. That you give us instruction to protect us. That you give us wisdom, Lord, for you as your people. And Father God, I pray that you'll continue to guard, help us to guard through your Spirit, through the Word through faithfulness, to God, the spirit of the unity, through love. This is so precious. This is what you've intended for your church. And it's a blessedness when, when this takes place. But Lord, help us to be aware that this is where the enemy attacks. And pray that you'll continue to guard our hearts. God has, Lord, as your people. And even as Jesus prayed for his disciples, that they would be one and we would be one just as, Father, as you and the Son are one, we pray that you would lead us on that journey, that you help us to be one to the glory and to the honor of your name. And Father, as we continue to work through this book of Ephesians and understand the next portions we pray that there'll be blessing for your people to the glory and to the honor of your name. Amen.